On today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand, I got to chat with Lysel Weldon. What an awesome conversation. Uh, you know, we did talk for about the first two minutes about, uh, you know, how to pronounce names uh, and how both of us are uh, not great at pronouncing names, <laughs> but we got into some really great marketing uh, material. Uh, Lysel has just an incredibly vast experience when it comes to marketing. Uh, her first job uh, was working uh, with Nike and she's just continued to go on from there. We talked all things marketing, what's working right now, what will never change. Um, just a really, really great conversation. You guys are going to get a ton out of this one. Today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand is brought to you by Mindful Marketing. At Mindful Marketing, they use ads to get you off using ads. Most e-commerce brands rely heavily on Facebook, Google, Snapchat, Twitter, and all the other paid platforms for the majority of their revenue. At Mindful Marketing, they use paid ads to help you build a community of loyal and repeat customers that will exist long after Facebook and Google do. In fact, Mindful Marketing wants to offer you a free e-commerce growth plan that they normally charge $500 for. A recent growth plan customer said, our ROAS tripled overnight after implementing their tactics. These guys are no joke at Mindful Marketing Co. So go to mindfulmarketing.co slash grow to claim your free e-commerce growth plan today. Now on to today's episode. Today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand is brought to you by D2Cdesign.com. If you're a D2C advertiser, Fresh Creative is your lifeblood. You guys know that I talk about that on this podcast all the time. That's why it's critical to have a design team that gets you new advertising content week in and week out at a fair price. We met up with Benson over at D2C Design and came up with this special offer for you to test out the value of their service. They've generously offered to design one free set of creative ads and D2C design strategy sessions personalized just for your brand. So if you like what you see, give them a test and please let us know how it went. I do not want to be sending you guys places that don't go well. So we try to only work with advertising advertisers uh, that we really believe in and that we see value in. Plus, these guys specialize in D2C designs that accelerate brand growth through conversion and personalized designs across your website, email marketing, social media, ads, and everything that you need for growth. So head over to d2cdesign.com. That's letter D, then the number two, and the letter C, design.com, and claim your free set of creative ads. Now on to today's episode. I have Liesel Weldon. Uh, who's an independent contractor. Did I, sorry, did I get the name correct? Yes, you did. LaSalle. That's, that's <laughs> it. You're, you're in the zone. You're in the zone, Jordan. Uh, you may not know if you haven't listened to this podcast that I get names wrong constantly. And I'm, I'm actually trying now. Now I'm no longer just saying, like, oh, hey, I'm just bad at names. I'm now really trying. So that's actually a little harder when you start trying, you know? I bet. I bet. I mean, it's, uh, it's challenging. You know, I was always sympathetic to, you know, when you go to graduation, high school or college, the person who has to stand up there and read everybody's name, like, yeah, sometimes it can get a little, uh, get a little intense for sure. Especially if you have an international program and you're like, oh man, how do I handle yeah. this? And the name's not Mike. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, or Jordan. John or Sally, <laughs> right? Or Sam, right? <laughs> 
got more consonants than vowels. Yeah, you're going to trip over those things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that's been me, you know, for the last 200 episodes of doing that. But I am I am making a change. So I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. I didn't mention that you've you've come from quite the history. So for people who don't know you, tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, some of your history and what you do now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'll start with uh, after I graduated from graduate school. So I Went to, uh, Duke, the Fuqua School of Business, go Blue Devils for, uh, for my MBA and came out and joined Nike in a two-year rotational program designed to de- develop me into a uh, marketing leader inside of the company. Still to date, the best job I've ever had. I just got to go around to different groups in marketing and spend three to six months with them and just learn. I would sit with my program manager and she's like, don't worry about the work. Your job is just to learn. <laughs> I mean, it's, pretty much the greatest place ever you could imagine to do something like that and have no accountability. Met a lot of really great people and learned a lot about how Nike actually works and how they actually approach their marketplaces, their consumers, and how they actually think about growth as well. Because I know we're going to talk a little bit about scaling. Yeah. After the program ended, I settled into what was a more normal looking job in the region for them called the Americas, which at the time was all of the Americas except for the US. So Canada, Latin America, South America, the Caribbean and ran marketing and retail programs for them. So, so that's kind of how I started a lot of my career and then spent the next, uh, spent a total of a, almost 11 years at the company doing a variety of different roles in marketing, in retail and brand marketing for specific business units like the men's training category for their sub-brands like Brand Jordan and a lot of different pieces of the business. So so I got to see a lot in that span of time. From there, I went on and decided to take the leap to entrepreneurship and innovation and join Lyft as their first VP of brand marketing. And really happy to say I got to build a team. I got to start to think about how we tell the story of this company and how that is going to drive growth for their business and all the things that are necessary to, to, to start up a brand, including building strategy, running integrated campaigns, and and all the complexity that goes into that. From there, I, I went all the way in on storytelling and joined a media company called Bleacher Report, who does sports content. And they're really known for the quality of work that they do on social, on social, but they also do a lot of really tremendous deep storytelling all in the realm of sport. I joined them at a time where they were looking for their next stage of growth. They had already exited and they were also dealing with a new competitive dynamic that had gotten even more fierce than when they started their business, which was Google and Facebook advertising. And as a digital mm. media company, they were, you know, needing to think about some new things <laughs> as uh, as that came in. So I was part of a strategy to start to define what was the future of Bleach Report going to be. From there, I joined Stitch Fix as they were starting to pull together their marketing organization running consumer marketing for them, which involves all the things that we know consumer marketing is about as they were figuring out their next stage of growth. And today, I really work with a lot of companies on how how they are thinking about whether it's setting up their marketing organizations, how they think about this combination of brand and growth and bringing these universes together to actually deliver for the business. Sometimes it's more tactical work like doing rebrands or positioning work. And sometimes it's more broad, broad based. I'm looking with an organization right now where they're trying to literally reorg their entire team and reshift to a new strategy. And they've brought me in to help them figure that out. So I think a little bit of the sweet spot seems to be helping people through the transitions that they're going through in different parts of their evolution as a company. Awesome. That was a great intro. I can tell that you have done a lot of presenting and meetings and... (laughs) 
<laughs> Maybe. I might be a professional deck builder. That might be what I do. Well, it's interesting because I talk to founders and, you know, accidental CEOs all the time, right? And this is not necessarily where they live. This is not, <laughs> they, I'm, I'm, I'm often prompting a lot of questions. And here I'm just like, I'm going to get myself 30 minutes to 40 minutes of, <laughs> of free consulting here. Um, I didn't tell you before, I'm also a brand owner. And so, um, multi, we, we're as of next month going to own five different brands. So, wow, um, we're that's always, awesome. yeah, yeah, it's fun. I'm always looking at strategy and some of the things that we talked about before um, were really interesting me just because I feel like there's this hard decision that people need to make as they're scaling up, right? And it is that brand versus performance, mm-hmm. right? Or brand versus that quick hit. I, I actually often think about it as like the goose and the golden egg, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone's trying to get the golden eggs all the time. And the golden eggs is really that like performance side of things with and then they forget about the goose that's actually producing all these golden eggs. And they and they look over the goose and they're like, wait, it's dead. The goose is dead. We actually just like took everything out of it. Yeah. Um, and so I was thinking about that a little bit when you were talking about brand before. So I'd love for you to go into sort of what it looks like when you go into a company and some of the like big issues that you see in their marketing departments? Yeah, I mean, it depends a little bit. So the first thing I'll say, it depends on stage of where you are. So if you're in that early stage and you've got an idea and a product and you're putting it out there, you're more just trying to figure out, is this going to work? Is there a marketplace for this? Is there a consumer that really wants this? So it's a very kind of fast, can feel chaotic at times as you're trying different things. You may even pivot your whole business, right? At some point during that, during that time frame. But as you get more mature and kind of move from stage one to stage, I kind of look at companies in four stages. As you move from stage one to stage Stage two. Stage two is really about scaling. And is hey, there a definition in there, like uh, for, for, guess, for you that you think of, or or does yeah, it- yeah. So I think of, and I actually have it with timeframes too. So I think of for stage one is exactly what I was just describing. Really early stage. I have an organization. I have an idea. I have like fifteen people, ten or fifteen people in a room, and we're going to see if we can make something here. Yeah. Right. That's really stage one. Stage two is you found your product market fit. And you believe you have something that a lot of people might want. And now you're looking at how do we really grow and scale this? And we need to do this quickly, largely because when you have a good idea other and you start to do well with it, other people are going to notice. And they're going to start to jump into your space too. So you got to kind of get a certain amount of market share, get your foot underneath, get your footing underneath you and establish your business before there's a lot of competitors doing the same thing you are. So that's basically stage two. Stage three is you've sort of moved through that. You're probably a more mature business at this point. You're seeing growth kind of slow down. You're not necessarily on that hockey stick anymore. And that's not a bad thing. That's just sort of the natural course of what happens with businesses. They're not going to hockey stick forever. And so you're now at that place where you're starting to think about what does the future actually look like? Mm. What is act two for my business, right? And your success as a business will literally be dependent on how well you can define act two and your ability to get to it. And some companies don't make it through that. And they may kind of not really grow for a really long time. I've seen that happen with companies. They just sort of like, we've got 2% growth this year, 3% growth. But if you want to get back to like high single digits or double digit growth, you've got to figure out what act two is, right? And it requires some innovation in your business. It requires you to think about your talent pipeline a little bit differently, all those things. And then stage four is like big mature 
mature business, right? And mm. we know what those companies are. That's Google, that's Facebook, that's my old company, Nike. You know who you are. You know what your sweet spot is. You know what drives success for you. You've optimized your supply chain if you have one. And you are kind of in a, you're a huge machine that's just sort of continuing to pour money on the top of the pile if it's working well for you. So. That's how I think about the, the four stages of growth. And I think to your original question of what do you need to think about, especially when you're getting into that scaling place? Yeah. I believe very strongly in having a clear purpose for your business, both what you're trying to accomplish in your industry and with your consumers and what you need to do in the community. And we can talk about that a little bit. And then having a strategy aligned to that. And that strategy is like, okay, it isn't like down into the weeds details, but largely if we're successful in meeting our purpose and our business goals, what, what are the things that we, we know we need to be able to do well? Right. And then you put that out to your organization and, you know, then the tactics will spew up on how we accomplish these things. I just want to know when when does it make sense to start transitioning from product market fit thoughts mm-hmm. to that sort of stage to purpose? Like yeah. When 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 does that come and and when do people know that that's sort of like okay, we've hit this level? Is that just being profitable? You know, like what where mm-hmm. where does that where does that come in? I think it's different these days. I think previously you would have, you know, in Bill Gates talks about it all to, all the time. Back when he was a founder, it, profitability was probably the key indicator that you kind of made it. Like you have a business that's going to sustain, but yeah. we have different feelings about profitability and when it needs to come in the, in this day and age, right? Amazon wasn't profitable for a really long time. Yeah. So we have a little bit more tolerance for companies finding their way now than we have before. From a time standpoint, it usually is within the first one to three years that you're going to figure that out. Okay. Uh, yeah. Right? Usually. Maybe yeah, that it, makes takes, sense. it might take you a little longer, but you'll know it because you'll start to feel less of a need to pivot your business, right? Because pivoting is about that wasn't working. So let's try this, right? You'll feel a little bit less of a need to f- pivot your business. You'll feel like you have a little bit of stable business sitting underneath you. Like I can count on X amount of revenue every month now, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. and that, and it may not be $20 million worth of revenue every month, but just enough that you say, Hey, okay. I think we're starting to to build something. And then you start to think about, okay, now what does stage two start to look like? Yeah, gotcha. Let's talk about that. So when you come into a company that's in stage two and they're like, ah, I mean, our purpose really up until now has just been to sell things. Right. right. That's really what it is. We're kind of, we've seen some needs out there and we're serving those needs. And now what? Yeah, I think you start with, what is true and authentic to you? So as a founder, why'd you start this company? Hopefully the reason is deeper than I wanted to make money. But if it's not, we can talk about that. But um, I, I hope so. I really hope for, and I've talked about this before. I, I really hope for people listening to this, that if that is the goal, which is not, it's not bad to make money. Absolutely not. But I'll tell you, I know from personal experience that there is an end to that. Yeah. And it's, and it becomes that the worst thing for an entrepreneur is to get everything you want. Right. right? It's just the worst possible day when you're like, oh, that didn't do it. That wasn't what it was all about. <laughs> right. And I think that purpose and the purpose is really about what role do you want to play in the world? What problem are you trying to solve for people really? And then ultimately, how does that translate back to making a better world for all of us? And I think that that's actually really important because you've, you've seen over the last couple of years, this desire for, as they're calling it now, stakeholder capitalism. People want their companies to just recognize that they're a part of the larger ecosystem with all of mm. us. 
And that's really important. So the Pew Research Center, for example, right, one of these very highly established organizations said that in 2019, the average American has 17% confidence in the fact that government wants to do what's right. In 1958, that number was 73%. So people have lost faith in the institutions that they normally would have a lot of faith in. So they're looking for companies to do the right things, to help them solve the challenges that are happening in the world, right? DNI is big on everybody's plate right now. Climate change is big on everybody's plate right now. And individual consumers are looking for companies to help them solve that. But the other thing that's really important is when you're scaling your business, it's a lot of work. It's incredibly hard. And you need to be able to inspire your employees through that. So Mm -hmm. having those things that have a strong sense of purpose will give people an extra motivation to come in every day and help your company be successful. So coming in, we start, we, we start by looking at that. How clear are you on your sense of purpose? If you're not super clear on it, we start with what do you guys actually believe? What did, why did you start this company? What were you trying to solve? We start there. We look at the marketplace and you say, what is, what is actually meaningful in the world, right? now? And what do we think will be meaningful over the long term? What are the things we want to hang our hat on from now until forever? The best example of this in the world is Patagonia. We know that they are a company that is driven by environmental causes, and they have been that company since 1970. And everything that they do harkens back to that. And it also drives a lot of success for them as well. What's that for Nike? Well, Nike will tell you that their whole purpose is to make athletes better, right? So their mission statement is to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. And what that means is, is they're going to create really innovative products that help you run faster, jump higher, swim faster, hit the ball further, whatever your sport may be. And they're going to actually inspire you to live your sport life every day. So wear our apparel, wear our footwear, represent your own personality and your connection to sport in everything that you do. Good, good. I just wanted to see what that difference was, right? Because you look at somebody like everybody knows with Patagonia, right? Exactly what they're doing. And I'm sure that I don't know revenue numbers wise, but I'm sure Patagonia has got to be close to Nike. In terms of revenue? Yeah. I mean, not that it really matters, but nope, no, not even close. different, not even close. Okay. Patagonia's maybe, and don't quote me, but they might be a uh, two or three billion dollar business. Oh, comparatively to... And Nike's about a $40 billion business. Okay. (laughs) Totally different. But that's okay. I think Patagonia is really clear on that they never wanted to really be that. I don't think that they chased that down. Nike did want to be that. So they chased it down. And I think, I think that's okay too. I think that clarity, everybody doesn't have to exit to a huge IPO like that. It's okay. Right. If you, if you want to run a, cause that Patagonia is a private business is if you want to run a private business that grows to a certain size and maintain that and have of smaller growth every year. That's fine. Like that's totally fine to do that. And I think the clarity of purpose helps with that too. Um, it helps you approach and think about how you want to scale and what you're actually building your business for. Hmm. So we've got purpose and then hmm. we've got goals or whatever that is that we're looking at because growth sometimes, you know, what we've talked about a little bit is that people just grow for the sake of growing, yeah. right? It's like, we're just going to grow. And okay, we've also got this purpose and we're just going to kind of grow. How do you help people set those goals. I'm a huge um, Seven Habits fan. I read through it at least once a year because I absolutely, I just think that it's living a principled life is just transformational. And yeah. and one of the Seven Habits is start with the end in mind, right? So I'm always right. thinking about that. Like, okay, so what does that look like? 
How, how do you help people figure that out? Or how do yeah. you figure that out for yourself? Well, I think uh, the first thing, I think if you're a founder, you have to be honest with yourself. That whole question we had before of, are you building your company for the exit or are you trying to build something else, right? So I tend to prefer to work with the folks who are building for something else, who want to be in it for the long term, because I yeah. think building for the exit is a really different sort of mindset. If you're trying to build for something that's going to last, you have to think about the short term and the long term continuously. And you have to build a strategy that allows you to achieve your short term goals, which is a lot of what sort of performance marketing will give you. And then you've got to think about how you're building your long term goals as well. And I think there's been a setup of performance versus brand a lot, but I actually think that they should work together. The sooner you can get into an integrated offense, where performance and your brand ideas and thoughts are coming together, the stronger you're going to be over the long term. And what does that look like practically for, that, for those two to, to mesh? That can look like messaging. That can look like consistency of imagery, imagery and tone of voice. A clarity on the no-go spots as a brand, like what are things that we absolutely will not do? And that's a big, big idea when, especially when you're thinking about influencers and couponing and a variety of different things that can erode your brand, but grow your revenue. So that's one thing. And then the other piece is you've got to ruthlessly evaluate every tactic against all of your goals. So, and this is hard, don't get addicted to certain tactics, right? Always evaluate everything through how is it helping me achieve these goals that I've set forth and keeping your eye on effectiveness versus efficiency. Those two things are not the same. I, I run into a lot of people who say, hey, my CPAs are starting to go up and I'm seeing ROI start to come down. Can you come in and help me fix that? And I usually end up saying to them, I'm like, well, if that's happening and you're now spending a higher proportion of your revenue on growth marketing and that's compromising your profitability and you're worried about it, well, why are you doing it? There's nothing forcing you to do that. If you don't want to spend more than 15% or 12% of your marketing, of your revenue on marketing, then don't. Yeah. Right? (laughs) Then don't. (laughs) Then absolutely don't. And if you, and if your channels are performing for you in a way that you feel is compromising that, it may be time to start thinking about other channels. The thing about growing grant brand and performance at the same time is what the brand side will give you. It gives you long-term growth because it creates organic demand for you. Your performance marketing engine is much more about capturing your demand about people saying, Hey, I'm thinking about, I need a sweatshirt. And Oh my God, look, here's a Facebook ad with a sweatshirt on it. Like, let me, let me click on it. Your brand marketing is about convincing you. It's like, you know what? Seasons are going to change. You're going to want a sweatshirt. It's time to start thinking about sweatshirts, right? That's Mm. how those two things work together. So if you abandon, if you over index in any one of those things, you're, you're losing out on something, right? If you're too much in performance, you're not generating enough demand and you are a hundred percent going to run into CPAs are increasing and ROI is going down. I guarantee you, you can almost set the clock to it. Right. If you're too over indexed on brand, you're not generating enough short term growth. You're probably not capturing enough of your demand in your marketplace. So you've got to make an adjustment there and you can play with that mix quite a bit so that it achieves all of the goals that you want. 
Awesome. I know we've kind of, you know, the entire thing has been about this, but I got to ask you the question I ask everybody who comes on the podcast. What is your secret to scaling? What is my secret to scaling? I think don't overlook two things. The culture of your company, right? Mm -hmm. Is if you, if you got initial success early on, it, part of it is not just your idea, but the environment you created for people to be successful. Make sure that as you're scaling and going fast and bringing in new people that you maintain that. Your culture is really hard to fix when you get big, right? So mm. be really, really ruthless on it and it will continue to bring dividends for you. And the other, and the other thing is once you move into scaling, you have to start to become really savvy about looking at the marketplace. So understand the competitive environment, understand what is driving growth for you, because you need to be really aware of those threats in the market when they pop up to your ability to grow. There's a simple math equation you can say, as long as your share of voice is greater than your market share, your business is going to grow. If your share of voice is less than your market share, your business is going to sink. Right. Mm. And what happens if you are a new business is that and if you are a novel idea that hasn't existed before, your share of voice is really a lot bigger than your market share. So you're growing, yeah. growing, 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 growing. As competitors come in, they start to cut into your share of voice and yeah. then they will cut into your market share. So that's, that's why you got to start to look at those, look at those dynamics as well. And I feel like, uh, there's a lot of companies that don't realize that until the competitors are really eating at their business and then try to fix it after the facts. And it's much harder to fix those things. And it's certainly not inexpensive to fix those things mm -hmm. once you get into those challenges. So you're better served kind of keeping an eye on it as you go through and start to always invest in the future and not just today. Wow. Super, super insightful stuff. I really, really appreciate this. I have three more questions for you. Okay. Uh, what is your favorite tool or app that you're using right now? My favorite tool or app that I'm using right now, this is going to sound really lame, but it's uh, Airtable. So Airtable- oh, That's not lame. Is not live? Great. Okay. No, I no, feel that's, like I'm that's like, super cool. I recently <laughs> became exposed to Airtable and I think I was living under a rock before for not having discovered it, but it's really pretty amazing in how it helps you to, you know, it's Excel, but better. So yeah. I, I love the way that it, it, that it helps you organize things and sort through information. So I think Airtable's great. Awesome. Great answer. Uh, favorite podcast or audiobook that you're listening to right now? My favorite podcast is I listen to the daily every day. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I love the daily. I think it's great. I love how I built this. I like, I listen to a lot of political stuff too. Um, I like those guys at Crooked Media and we'll pop into a couple of their programs too. So those are things I love right now. Awesome. Are you on Clubhouse yet? I am on Clubhouse, but I am not a good person to talk to because I'm doing with Clubhouse what I do with everything else. I sign up and then I don't really do anything <laughs> for months until one of my friends says to me, okay, why aren't you doing X, Y, and Z? I see you're there. Like, come on. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. So I'm so still in that zone of, I, of, I haven't done a lot on there. I was like you, just so you know, I'm like, I prefer my work days just in the position that I'm in. I work nine to two and then I just stop working and I, and I consider going on clubhouse working and I was like, I can't fit this in. There's just no <laughs> possible way I'm going to be able to fit this in. And then I hosted a room and there was okay. like, four, and there was like 40 people that showed up and I'm like, what, what's going on? I'm like, at, like, <laughs> you know, if we did a webinar, 
I, you know, doing a webinar, I'd have like maybe 20 people and I'd be like, whoa, that's incredible. And just this random like e-commerce conversation that we're having and we have 40 people show up uh, and then it just continues on. Every single time that we host a room, there's like this a uh, huge amount of people that show up and listen and engage. And it's so strange. Is it so is it literally just com- so you're like teeing off? Here's the subject and people just show up and you're moderating conversation. Is that what you're doing or are you doing more of a? Hey, I've got all these things I want to share. No, it, we try to do it just really conversationally, but there's speakers that are up at the top and then listeners below. And then you can say like, Hey, does anybody want to ask a question? And then you bring them up on stage and they ask a question. Interesting. It is. I really, when it first came out, I'm like, this is the stupidest app. I'm like, no <laughs> one's going to spend time on this. People have no attention spans. No one's going to sit in a room for an hour listening and talking. And they do. I don't get it. They do. They do. So anyway, maybe it's a little bit of a COVID bonus too, right? Like maybe people are like, Hey, it's another way to connect. It's COVID. We're all locked at home. So maybe. Yeah. I, I'm not going to, you know, invest in the company or anything, but I'm, I'm very interested to see it, it evolve and see every, all the other platforms steal what they're doing. Yeah. (laughs) That's when you know that it's going to be good. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Twitter has something similar already. What is it called? Spaces? It's a similar kind of idea. I don't know a lot about it, but I've heard a little bit. So we'll see what ends up happening for them. Yes. Yes. Again, I am not big on Twitter. So yeah, I'm not either. But but that's usually what the platforms do, right? They just, oh, there's a cool, fun little thing happening over there. We'll build it in our ecosystem and people can just continue to do this on Instagram. That's usually what yeah. they do, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, I have one more question for you. Sure. If you could sit down with anybody for an hour, uh, have some coffee, tea, beer, wine, who would it be? They have to be alive. They have to be alive. Okay. That's a great question. I had a knee-jerk reaction, but I don't think I'm going to go with my knee-jerk reaction. I, and this is, and this may sound really unoriginal, but I would love to sit down with Michelle Obama. I really would. I would love to like have dinner with her and just hear her tell her story of her life in a very unfiltered way that Mm. doesn't connect to politics at all. I just think she's, I read her book. And so I know she's got some interesting perspectives on things, but I feel like even in her book, she didn't go all the way. So I'd love to hear her just, just put it all out there on the table. That's a great answer. I've loved seeing her on, um, I forget what the show is called. It's this new kids show uh, that I oh, watch yeah. with my kids. The, yeah. It's like a cooking show. It's it's great. <laughs> yeah, she's the, yeah. they've got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great answer. This was so nice to have you on. Thank you. We actually went over uh, how long we normally go, but okay. uh, I really, really appreciate you being on. Where can people connect with you and find out uh, more about you and, and, and how, how do you help companies? Because I'd love to know. Yeah. So uh, the best way to find me is on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn all the time. And you can check out my profile page, LaSalle, L-I-S-E-L, Weldon, W-E-L-D-E-N. So you can come visit me on LinkedIn. And if you want to send a note, if you're interested in chatting more or delve or nerding out with me on integrated marketing and growth versus brands, um, just send me a note. I'm always happy to chat. And in terms of how I help companies is it's usually just through these informal connections. So I've met some people through not just podcasts, but through friends and, and we get to talking and believe that, hey, this could be a good match for the kind of stuff I like to do and, and the kind of stuff they need help with. So that's the best bet. 
Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for your time today. All right. Thanks so much, Jordan. Hey, guys. We hope you really enjoyed today's episode. Can we ask you a favor? Hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode and share this with your e-commerce store owner friends. We also love reviews. So if you could leave us one on Apple Podcasts, that would mean so much to us. Just a reminder from the beginning of the episode, our team at Mindful Marketing is rapidly growing and we have room for one new brand a month that's looking to grow. Now, before you apply, please note that we're only looking for businesses that are ready to scale and have the capacity and the inventory for a large influx of orders. This opportunity is only available to brands that have had at least one year of sales history and are ready for explosive growth. If this sounds like you, go to mindfulmarketing.co slash apply and start the process today. I hope you guys have a great week.